and my real release was playing soccer up until like my junior year of high school where I broke my leg and then like identity crisis um, come college. That kind of lit a spark of like, oh, there's like this world of entrepreneurship. Um, and that's what kind of got me started um, in, in this space. So this is the first time I heard my grandfather's story of like coming to the US, like all the trial and errors from it, the immense hurdles that were in front of him. He had previously tried to escape twice and they were like, yo, if we catch you a third time, like we're probably gonna throw you in jail and you're not gonna get out. When I, I realized all that stuff, I was like, yo, if this guy can get over here on a random boat and find a way to produce the quality of life um, that I have to today, like, I have no excuse not to be trying to do something with my life. When you appreciate where you came from, that's where the growth really comes from. Justin Wynn. I can honestly say that I did not expect the conversation I had with Justin to go to the places that it did. He's a creator and an entrepreneur. He's built an online following on TikTok of hundreds of thousands of young people that take his advice on internships and how to better pursue the things that they're trying to build in their life, whether it's a business or their career. But Justin comes from very humble beginnings. His grandfather's story of immigration as a refugee from Vietnam directly shaped his work ethic and the kind of life that he wanted to live for himself, causing him to leave nothing on the table. Justin is young, but he is by no means shy of wisdom. So please come join this conversation with us today. I promise it's not one you're going to want to miss. So without further ado, my name is Dan Russo, and this is Grow, the podcast where each week we bring on entrepreneurs, creators, and other inspiring guests to help you grow into the best version of yourself. Justin, what's going on, man? How are you today? Doing well, man. How about you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Really excited to get the opportunity to talk with you for an hour and just jam on all things uh, Justin Wynn. I hope I'm pronouncing your last name correctly, by the way. Yep, yep. You got it. You got it, man. One of the few. Awesome. One of the few to get it right. Well, you know what? Um, I, I I didn't know how to pronounce the name Win actually um, a few years back, and then one of my friends actually corrected me on it. I had the wrong pronunciation. I was phonetically sounding all the words out, and I just uh, <laughs> I felt terrible to anybody that I actually had ever said that name to. So, and it's a fairly popular name, at least from my experience. I know several Wins. So, um, yeah. Anyway, man, thank you so much for being on here. Really appreciate you. And um, you and I have been connected for a little while now. A little while now. We met, I think, three or four years ago at a networking event in New York City. But we've been kind of tangentially just keeping an eye on each other, I think, from the sidelines. Or at least I have on your content on LinkedIn. And we had the opportunity to connect live on a phone call a few weeks ago. And that really spurred, um, you know, this desire for me to get you on here as a guest, one of the early guests. So I would love to dive in and 
I know from our conversations that you're an entrepreneur, you're a podcast host, you are a former LinkedIn consultant. Um, but I really want to dive in on uh, the before of that. You know, who is Justin Wynn before all that takes shape? What was the environment that you were created in? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the backstory of, of myself is grew up in Windsor, Connecticut, so super small town in a super small state. Uh, so really wasn't surrounded by any entrepreneurship at all growing up. Um, and my real release was playing soccer. So I played soccer probably pretty much every single day for at least two to four hours every single day, whether that's practice games, whatever it may be up until like my junior year of high school where I broke my leg and I had, I had opportunities to play in college, which ultimately I turned down after I did break my leg, still mm -hmm. play here and there. But like classic story of soccer was my life until high school until I got hurt. And then like identity crisis um, come college. Um, right. So in college, freshman year, went to UT, University of Tampa. Um, and then after a year, went to University of Central Florida because I got in-state and it was just way cheaper. And when I was at UCF, that's when I really started to get into the content grind um, found Gary V's content. I'm sure you're familiar with him. And a lot of the people Very listening have probably either seen his viral videos on YouTube or his viral TikToks now. Um, that kind of lit a spark of like, oh, there's like this world of entrepreneurship. Um, and that's what kind of got me started um, in, in this space. So as much hate as Gary V gets, I totally understand that side of things. Um, for me and a lot of people, he sparked uh, an idea that we didn't even know was possible. And I appreciate that from, from my end. Absolutely. It's incredible that you find that spark with Gary Vee. But prior to that, breaking your leg, how did you make that transition? What Talk to me about some of the um, things that were going through your head at that time. Even though you were at a young age, um, you know, breaking your leg and getting injured uh, from the sport that was sort of your identity, the core piece of who you were, um, sounds like something that's really hard to uh, transition away from. So talk to me a little bit about that process. How did the breaking your leg affect you? And how did you kind of overcome that hurdle to be able to, uh, you know, move on and find a new source of identity and joy within the entrepreneurial world? Yeah, I mean, it was really weird, um, to be completely frank. Like, I had dedicated so much time and so much effort into... Uh, soccer that I didn't really know what to do with my free time now. Uh, I still played soccer my senior year of high school and I was competitive in it, but it wasn't, I wasn't necessarily passionate about it anymore because of the injury. And then yeah. the reality really set in, in college where I had so much free time on my hands. Like, yes, you have less class time compared to high school, typically in college, but also now I was used to going to school from, let's just say eight in the morning till around two, 3 PM at, at in the afternoon and then going straight to soccer. And I usually wouldn't get home until seven, eight, nine o'clock some days. And basically I had now just gotten four or five hours back in my life every single day of the week. And I was just trying to figure out what to do with my time. And I think the way that I coped was watching YouTube and watching and playing video games. And that's sort of how I came across Gary V was it just happened to pop up on my, um, my, my, like, my suggested feed on YouTube. So I didn't necessarily cope with it in the best of ways. So to say I kind of coped with it in my own way. Um, and that was through YouTube. And luckily it just kind of fell down the ra the right rabbit hole essentially. 
Absolutely. So you kind of cultivated it through, you know, it sounds like this realization that you had this free time plus the the kind of discovering of Gary Vee. And I guess seeing that content really sparked this, um, you know, kind of aha moment where it's like, well, if I've got this free time and I need to fill it, this like seems like some really cool, you know, space to get into in terms of entrepreneurship and, and creating content. And so it seems like that was kind of the, the marriage of those two realizations that allowed you to kind of springboard into content creation. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And like from Gary, I learned about Lewis Howes and about Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, all these other people that are big names in sort of yeah. like the personal development and entrepreneurship space. And that's, again, just sort of started me going down the rabbit hole of entrepreneurship and really opening my eyes to like, oh, this is actually a thing. Because beforehand, right. um, like both my parents are Vietnamese refugees. And really the only path that I knew of was go to school, get good grades, hopefully end up being a doctor, lawyer, engineer, whatever it may be. Um, but business and entrepreneurship was never even on the table. And until I started seeing stuff on online, I, I never even knew that this world was possible. Man, it's so crazy how similar our stories in terms of our entrepreneurial journeys are. Um, and they've gone in different directions, but I'll explain what I mean because I started with Gary too. I mean, my first spark into the entrepreneurial world. I don't remember what video it was, but I'm sure it was either some post on on his blog or an Instagram post or a Twitter post or something. And I remember hearing his name before I actually saw some of his content. And then when I saw his content, I was like, this is the guy? <laughs> so it was really funny because um, I was addicted to his content for a couple of years. Um, and then I realized that I wasn't actually implementing it. I was actually just kind of enjoying the content, et cetera. Um, did you feel as though you went through a phase of where you just wanted to consume Gary versus actually deploying what he was saying? Um, or how, how did that, how did that, or were you somebody who Im immediately implemented what he was preaching? No. Yeah. I was definitely a watcher for probably about a year or so. Um, yeah. just literally watching every single vlog that he put out every interview that Lewis house put out, I would watch it on my, or I would listen to it on my commutes to, um, to, to work and stuff like that. Like, yeah, I literally consumed every piece of content that Gary put out, Lewis put out, uh, Mark Cuban put out like all those names just because I had nothing. Like I didn't know what to do with my time essentially. Um, so I was just consuming, consuming, consuming for probably about six to 12 months. Yeah. Um, and then finally I forgot what it was, but something just pushed me to start creating content. And that's what led me down the rabbit hole of like, okay, let me start creating content. Um, let me create content on LinkedIn because I want to differentiate myself for like finding internships and jobs. Um, yeah. and then ultimately creating content to help students overall with, uh, with like the cheat codes of navigating college. And that's where we are right now with declassified media. What was that that switch? I know that you say you didn't remember, but if you had to think about it, if you had to, you know, point out either one or a few things, what was the switch that made you go from a consumer mindset to a creator mindset? Because I find that's one of the things that I've personally struggled with, and I'm finally getting over that hurdle in what I hope will be a consistent and sustainable manner with this podcast to not be a consumer and actually be a creator. Um, and there's several different things that have gone into that layers to it. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I was a consumer and now I'm trying to be a creator. I'm trying to create more than I consume. I know so many people that want to get into the creator economy or that want to produce social media content. Um, 
are struggling with this, be them an individual or a business owner. I've seen it, you know, through and through again throughout my marketing career. What was the hurdle um, that that you sort of overcame? Uh, what was that moment like for you? And what's your advice to other people that want to do the same thing? Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's going to be different for everyone. I don't necessarily know when that time was for me, but like trying to think back to it right now, one of the key events during that time was I went to my, I want to say my grandparents' anniversary um, for like 50 years or something like that, their 50-year wedding anniversary or something crazy like that. And for some reason, um, my aunt was tasked to create like a PowerPoint presentation about how they came to to Viet or from Vietnam to the US. And I'd never heard this story before because it's very traumatic for a lot of the, the refugees that were able to make it over from Vietnam. So this is the first time I heard my grandfather's story of like coming to the US, um, like all the trial and errors from it, the um, the immense hurdles that were in front of him and what he had to go through when he did get to the US to provide the the life for my parents, which ultimately allowed me to to have a great life as well. Yeah, and absolutely. when I I realized all that stuff, I was like, "Yo, if this guy can get over here on a random boat and find a way to produce um, the quality of life um, that I have to today, like I have no excuse not to be trying to do something with my life." Um, and I think that's probably one of the the key moments that made a maybe. Ha may have been like one of the catalysts to make me start to create content. But that is a, a key point where I was like, oh, I am like not putting in any effort compared to like my grandparents and my parents, especially. Um, I need to put in a little bit of work. And that's sort of where Get Your Grind Up um, kind of came about was like I was putting in this work and I wanted to showcase my friends of like, hey, if you're not motivated on my Snapchat and Instagram and stuff like that, get your grind up. And this is what I'm doing. So maybe if you see what I'm doing, you're going to be motivated to keep on grinding. I'm not just getting good grades because I'm Asian or, or getting these internships because I'm Asian. It's like literally because I'm putting in the work and I'm getting my grind up. So that was like the origins of um, GCGU essentially. Now, I love that your source of inspiration to start, you know, putting the work in and producing content came from your grandparents' immigration story. Um, you know, can you share a little bit about about that story, um, if you'd like, and, you know, and how it kind of inspired you to to sort of take that level up to get your grind up? Um, can you talk a little bit about that inspiration? Yeah, of course. I mean, the story itself is crazy. Um, my grandfather, I don't know the exact years um, when they came over, but they were doing very well in, in Vietnam, but decided that they wanted to leave um, because of what was going on in Vietnam at the time. And my grandfather tried to escape. the Vietnam War at the time? Yeah, the Vietnam War. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Um, I can't remember if it was during or after, but yeah. it was around that time. Um, that time. Awesome. So... He had previously tried to escape twice, and both times he got caught and thrown into wow. jail um, briefly. And they were like, yo, if we catch you a third time, like we're probably going to throw you in jail, and you're not going to get out, essentially. Um, so he's like, okay, well, if I'm going to do it this third time, I need to figure out like how to actually do it. And so my grandfather split up the family into, I believe, two groups of four. Um, so the first four were like the first 
three kids, the three oldest kids, and then my grandfather. And then the second four were like the three youngest kids, my grandmother, and then like my great grandmother as well. Um, they got on a boat in the middle of the night, didn't necessarily know where they were going. Um, no food, ran out of food, ran out of water, and luckily get picked up by like a U.S. Navy ship or a Philippine Navy ship and then make their way to the U.S. Um, crazy part about it is the the second half of the family, apparently they don't come back. They don't come over until two years later. Um, so there's like a two-year gap. And again, this is without cell phones, without social media or anything yeah. like that. So I don't know how or if they're communicating with each other. Um, but they come over, again, don't know how find a way to make um, find each other in in Connecticut um, and that's how both um, my 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 mom's side of the family came to the US um, again coming here without any money uh, my grandfather graduates college without knowing any English in two years with an engineering degree um, wow. and then becomes uh, his name is on several patents for like some of the first computer fans out there so it's wow. So I'm like, okay, if this guy can do all this, right, without knowing any English, coming over here, no food, no water, and finding a way to, to generate income and provide for his family, like, what what the heck's my excuse, right? So right. I'm over here, parents are helping me with school, I've got, I'm going to school, I know English, um, I've got all this potential opportunity, why am I not taking advantage of it? And I think that, again, was one of the points of like, you know, Justin, like, don't, um, don't let this opportunity go to waste. And that's when I started the content grind. That's awesome, man. I mean, to, to just take that story and, and, and to, first of all, it's an incredible story and, and kudos to your grandfather and your grandmother, you know, on your mom's side for coming over here and for starting a life that would literally change the generational, you know, uh, trajectory of your entire family. Um, and, for you to have the self-awareness as the, you know, second generation, um, of that, of that, you know, impact, um, to have the self-awareness that, you know, I'm so lucky, incredibly lucky to be here, um, and to be, you know, born in this country, et cetera, and to have the life that I do. And then not only to be aware of it, but to also say, I should really use that as like the fuel to my fire to pursue my own dreams. Um, that's incredible. And uh, a lot of people don't, have that self-awareness, right? Certainly, um, I took for granted until I had my own uh, interesting experience with uh, an immigration story um, and still take it for granted that I was born here, you know, that I, I have the life that I do, that my parents have worked as, as real, you know, as hard as they have to provide the sort of platform for me to be able to pursue things that I am passionate about. You know, I get to live in their house. I get to, you know, save money up. I get to, um, you know, have a great education at the University of Maryland, which has opened up doors for me. Uh, in my earlier career, um, you know, that I wouldn't have had otherwise. Um, so kudos to you for having that self-awareness and then acting on um, the the fire that, that kind of instilled. Um, has your parents or it sounds like your parents and your grandparents and you're just your family in general are a real source of uh, the work ethic that's been instilled in you. Um, are there any... Um, you know, outside of the immigration story, are there any sort of lessons that you've learned um, from your family that are sort of pivotal uh, to your journey so far? Yeah, I mean, I think the the lessons that my family brought me up on um, was like a like respect your elders, right? So um, right. it was super. It's it's still super weird for me to call people older than me like by their first name. Um, it's just very foreign to me. 
and I, I know like in the American culture, that's just kind of something that is, is, is done, um, especially yeah. in the corporate world. But even for me, like, especially in a family setting, um, I, I can never imagine calling my parents, um, anything other than mom or dad. Right. So I think being able to, to understand, like respecting your elders has played a huge role in my life of whenever, whoever is in front of me, like I, I always respect them for who they are, especially if they are older. Um, and that, that sign of respect, um, of all during whenever I'm, I'm communicating with someone, essentially, um, that, and then from the work ethic standpoint, of course. And then I think for me, uh, always being studious in school, even though I hated school, they always forced me to, to do well in it. Um, and even though, yes, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm not going to be that type of entrepreneur. That's like, yo, screw school. School is a scam. Da, 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 da. Can school be a scam? Of course. And I will be the first person to tell you that a lot of times school is, is like using you to make money. But if you use school correctly, um, you can make you can get really good ROI. The problem is no one tells you how to actually do school. And my parents didn't tell me either. And most parents don't, right? Uh, the, the only real advice out there is like, yo, school is the best four years of your life. You're going to go have fun, party, da, 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 da. Like that's what a lot, that's a lot of what you hear um, when you're going to high school. And it's like, okay, that's great. But do I really want to pay 10, 20, 30, $40,000 a year, whatever it is um, to have the quote unquote best four years of my life? Uh, so I, I think being able to have that studious side to me, and even when I was building things up on my own, um, even to today, my parents are still very hesitant of like, hey, like you do have a degree. Um, are you sure you don't want to go find a job or anything like that? Like, yes, it is annoying. But at the same time, I understand from their perspective of where that's coming from. Um, and I think that's a great perspective to have because, uh, again, they're just looking out for me, which I really appreciate. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, your parents are going to continue to do that, right? I have a conversation with my parents around different jobs that I've taken earlier in my career. And I've been at startups for the most part and similar conversations to where they said, well, maybe you should start looking at a larger company or a larger firm, a little bit more security, you know, versus some of these startups that may or may not you know, make it right. Um, and certainly, um, you know, I kind of went a little bit against the grain of that advice in my first, you know, two careers. I worked for an angel investor for three years and then I joined um, a startup called Next Gen HQ. Uh, had both great experiences. Um, but now in my, in my new job search, I'm actually looking for something that is a little bit more secure and sustainable, um, you know, within that, you know, perhaps a little bit of a larger company setting. Um, but something that's still entrepreneurial in nature, startup-like in nature that allows me to, to sort of uh, operate autonomously and, you know, have a large impact within the organization. Um, so, uh, and I'm, and luckily I'm, I'm, you know, finding some hybrid roles and situations that are very uh, promising uh, in that regard. But I know those types of conversations um, and, and I think you walk a great balance of being able to take in your parents' advice, but then also forge your own path, you know, forward because you have, you have a great perspective on school is really important and recognizing that and you're using your degree. But at the same time, I know that I have the opportunity in my 20s to be able to go out and, and, and I quite frankly, anytime to be able to go out and, you know, try this entrepreneurship thing. And, you know, from my perspective, you're, you know, 
exceeding <laughs> all of you know the expectations that you probably you. have and, and you're you're you know you're, you're crushing it quite frankly um i want to take it back to a second before we get into the modern you know day justin and i want to take it back to college justin you said that you started creating this content after about six to twelve months of consumption you get out of you know you get into that mindset of being a creator rather than a consumer what type of content were you creating what was the platform and how did that lead into podcasting yeah, I mean, super cringe content. If we're being honest, like looking back at it, it's like, what the heck was I even doing? Um, it's it's actually <laughs> really bad. Uh, so it was like Instagram and Snapchat stories. I think were the first because that was the platforms at the time. Um, and what year was this? Twenty fourteen, twenty fifteen ish. Wow, really? That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So right around that time, sometime between twenty fourteen to twenty sixteen. Um, yeah. Not again. Not exactly sure on the exact date. Yeah. But that was the beginning of it. Um, we started to gain some momentum between like a few friends uh, of mine that would like comment back. It was like, oh, maybe um, one of my friends hit me up, Gary, and he was like, yo, maybe we turn this into something like legit. I was like, sure, why not? Um, let's see what happens. And that's when Get Your Grind Up kind of legitimized, so to say. And that was the first um, iteration of uh, of my journey into podcasting. So. The first name of the show was Young and Dumb. Dumb stood for Dedicated, Up-and-Coming, Motivated, and Bold. And it was kind of ironic that it literally came out at the same time of uh, Khalid's song, Young, Dumb, and Broke. Um, so that was like <laughs> kind of cool, but like not planned at all. And like it was a, our dream to get him onto the show, but we never actually like tried to reach out to him. So unfortunately, yeah. that never happened. But that show was around talking to young, motivated individuals who are killing it on the outside, but yep. it, they seem like one hit one, not not one hit wonders, overnight successes. And we wanted to hear the backstory of them right. to showcase that they weren't overnight successes. That um, makes a lot of sense. So that was the initial podcast that was going well, but like Gary decided that he wanted to get a job. I was like, bet i totally understand this isn't really generating any revenue um i'll i'll go ahead and, and continue some sort of media journey on my own and was kind of just creating content on linkedin doing consulting that way and that's sort of where declassified came out of i was like oh we can actually generate a business model around this without charging students let's let's go full force and that's where we are with declassified media that's awesome. So you went from, you know, kind of creating content on Snapchat and Instagram to a little bit more, um, let's just call it consistent, organized content on the Young and Dumb podcast that transitioned into Get Your Grind Up. And then mm -hmm. the modern day iteration of that after you kind of went solo was through um, declassified media, correct? Correct. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. And it feels like, you know, from what I'm hearing you, you talk about, the constant theme has been... Um, bringing on younger individuals as podcast guests um, to really kind of gain an insight into, you know, how they're becoming successful. I saw on Declassified's website that the in the about section that it's like, why are we taking advice from people who went to co about college from people who went to college? 20 years ago, right? Why aren't we talking to the people that are actually in college today from young professionals to, you know, um, you know, recent graduates, young professionals, and also people that are actually in college right now. Talk to me a little bit about the idea of talking to people that are currently, you know, in 
the in college or, um, you know, recent graduates, because it goes against the grain a little bit, which it seems like you like to do. Uh, it goes against the grain um, of the typical podcast episode, right? Like I want, um, you know, sometimes to get, you know, advice from the more Cubans, from the Gary V's, from the Lewis Howes of the world. Uh, although sometimes those aren't guests that are immediately accessible to someone who's starting out on a podcast. So what, what was the reasoning for you to choose guests that, um, um, perhaps are more accessible um, to, um, you know, someone who's starting a podcast from the ground up. Yeah. I, I mean, like the people that you listed out, right? I think there's value of hearing from them. Um, the, the issue is uh, there are so many interviews of the Mark Cubans, the Gary V's of the world, like their stories already been said and already been had right. um, to the point of like why we specifically, and it seems like a lot of my um, content is usually focused on around younger voices is a, I don't think there's enough coverage of our voices. Um, but also B, I think if you, if, if advice from older people worked in the career space, uh, especially then we wouldn't have this problem. And the issue I think specifically in the career space, and that's why I'm so focused on it is because of how quickly it has moved and changed over the past 10 or 20 years that a lot of the people that found jobs 20 years ago, their advice isn't necessarily valid today. Um, just because of how quickly the world is changing and the re the way that I think that we can stay in front of it is by talking to people who are in the weeds and finding jobs and finding internships right here and then um, to offer the advice that helped them land whatever job or internship that they got. So my, my, my brief explanation of everything is like talk to the people who are doing it. Um, they're going to have the, the most uh, tangible advice, uh, especially in a world that's changing so quickly right now. Like you look at web three, things aren't taking weeks or months. It's literally days, if not hours. And right. is that sustainable? I'm not necessarily sure, but I do think the world is moving into a direction where things are happening way quicker and people are learning way faster. And to be able to, to keep up with that, you need to talk to the people that are in the weeds doing whatever it is that you're trying to learn. I couldn't agree with you more. I think that there is a information gap, let's call it, between people who are seeking information, let's say our age and, you know, the Mark Cubans and the Gary V's of the world, right? You, you said it yourself, there's an oversaturation of interviews and information from them. And there's not necessarily anything new that you or I would be able to pull out of them on our respective shows. You're ahead of me in the curve. And that's not to say that you wouldn't ask them unique questions, right? But, or that I wouldn't ask them unique questions. And then I would take Gary V or any one of those guys on my podcast in a heartbeat if I had the opportunity to. So Gary, don't get pissed off by this if you ever listen to it. Um, however, there is an information gap, I think, because I've always been told and operated on um, a philosophy that if you want to learn something, right, don't pick somebody who's like 100 steps ahead of you, pick somebody who's like two to five steps ahead of you, right? Um, that's Pretend partially why you and I got on a call. Um, selfishly, I wanted to talk to you. You're two, three, four, five steps ahead of where I want to be. I think I told you in a year. I even told you that live on the phone calls. Like in one year, I'd love to be where you are with declassified media, right? Several hundred reviews, five star reviews on your podcast, um, you know, on Apple Podcasts, right? You're, you, you have tens of thousands of, you know, streams and downloads per month um, for the podcast. Um, I'm sorry if I'm revealing some of your stats. No, you're good. <laughs> Right now, um, but 
but I totally agree with you um, in that regard. If I, if you had to sum up in, in kind of one or two sentences what the problem that you're trying to solve with declassified media and the podcast is, what would that be? I think with declassified media, the problem that we're looking to, to solve and essentially become is the barstool or BuzzFeed of career education. Uh, I think the the older generation, they have good career knowledge, so to say. They just do a really bad job of explaining it in a way that Gen Z actually cares about doing. Yeah. So we want to act as that translator. And that's why we use social media and, and the podcast format to, to do it, because that's where Gen Z's eyes are. They don't care about some PDF that you're going to give them um, or like a pamphlet if you show up to a, a career event at school. Absolutely. How old are you? Um, I am 25. So I am like either, depending on who you talk to, I'm either the first first uh, Gen Z or the last millennial. But I like to vibe with Gen Z. I, I like Gen Z cool, uh, more. <laughs> yeah, I think you just created a new uh, Instagram title for yourself. First Gen Z, last millennial. Like <laughs> You get to choose, right? Whatever you want. I get grouped into both. So Exactly. I'm 94. So I kind of am at the very end of the millennial um, spectrum. Or I think, I, again, it depends on who you talk to. I'm not even yeah. sure. I know I'm not Gen yeah, Z. Yeah, I'm, I'm 96. I'm 96. Yeah. So yeah, literally depending on what article you read, I'm either first Gen Z or last millennial. So um, I'm in this weird spot, but I just I identify as Gen Z. Absolutely. I, I love that. So being that you're, let's just say that you're a little bit closer to Gen Z than I am, right? What are some of the things that you are seeing, um, you know, younger college kids, right? In that, well, let's just call it the 18 to 25 age range right now, or even younger, right? You know, in, in high mm -hmm. school, what are some of the skill sets that you're seeing them have that perhaps millennials or even older generations are are lacking, especially within, is it, is it just, you know, adeptness on social media or is it, you know, so what are some of the strengths and the weaknesses that you're seeing in them? I, I think the strength of Gen Z uh, is kind of also a weakness of them. Um, but is like this weakness is a weakness for pretty much every generation when they're at the age of what Gen Z is at right now. Yeah. And what I mean by that is Gen Z is, I think, super smart. Uh, they understand the internet and they understand how to use the internet to find information that many older generations don't know or understand how to find um, because they grew up with the with the internet and they understand YouTube's algorithms and TikTok's algorithms and whatever it may be. And because of that, they are smarter, I believe, and will be smarter than previous generations. Because of that and because of the internet, I think a lot of them are a little cocky um, in the way that they think that they know everything. And I think that's pretty much every generation when they're in that 18 to 25 sort of age range. But I think it's a little bit more exaggerated with Gen Z because they might actually know a little bit more than previous generations when they were 18 to 25. Um, so it's kind of like a blessing and a curse. But I do think the, the ones that are able to understand that, yes, they might be smarter um, in some areas, but dumber in others and are able to seek guidance in those dumber areas those are going to be the ones to to really succeed in Gen Z. And I think a lot of people will get that awareness. Absolutely. Thank you for that. And and that's a great perspective to have because I think that you're right, right? I think that, um, 
you know, there's a dual-edged sword, right? To be able to have access to all this information, right? You know, the um, Gen Z or even millennial, right? Just call it 18 to 25 age range right now. It's super sharp and smart. But at the same time, I think you're right. It's a double-edged sword. It can be a strength, but also a weakness in that, you know, they don't know what they don't know. <laughs> and um, exactly. I think that, I think that um, you know, not to say that there's a cockiness to them. I don't think that there is. I think that there is a... Um, um, a opportunity for them to take the knowledge that they do have, but then also be humble and to, you know, go learn from not just like, like we'd mentioned the people that are 20 years ahead of them, but the people that are in between, right. In between where mm -hmm. there are two steps ahead of them, three steps ahead of them. Um, does that kind of encapsulate what, what, what you were just talking about? Yeah, totally. And I, I think I, like, like you said, cockiness might not necessarily be the word, but no, it's, it's kind of like, it, it's kind of like a no BS attitude and they understand how much they're worth, their time is worth. And I think that's one of the main reasons why you're seeing this labor shortage, especially with um, like a lot of jobs that should be filled with students yeah. um, and why they're having to increase wages is because a lot of Gen Z is like, like, nah, like I'm not going to work for eight, nine bucks an hour to go do fast right. food. Like right. I'd rather be broke than work or I can go on the internet and sell something for a couple hundred bucks or a couple thousand dollars and make more money and not have to work in fast food. And I think a lot of Gen Z is realizing that. And, but that, that also adds to the, like, yes, you understand and you know something because you've learned so much, but you also have, maybe you got steps one and two, but like, you still got to learn three, four, five, six, seven, eight to, to build a business or build right. whatever your career, whatever it may be. And I, I think Gen Z hasn't gotten to that point where a lot of people are asking for steps three and higher. Got it. Do you feel like declassified media is filling in the steps of three and higher, or do you feel like you're, you're filling in steps one and two? I think for, for declassified we're we're filling in the cheat codes to help you bridge each step and make each step um, come a lot quicker. So what I mean by that is, uh, I love video games and that's why I branded it around cheat codes. Um, and I know Gen Z loves it too. So that's why I kind of hit that, that, that branding side of things. But typically, right. It's like, okay, it's going to take you four years in college to learn whatever it may be. We right. want to make sure that you are learning from seniors so that seniors can teach freshmen. So freshmen can grow quicker. Right. So not, we're not necessarily teaching you, um, like how like biology or whatever it may be, we're teaching you like, yo, you want to learn biology. Here's a study uh, uh, hack that'll help you learn biology quicker. Or, okay. If you can't pay for books, here's the easiest way to find scholarships that people aren't finding right now. So we're kind of like the, the middle in between each step, um, at least for right now of like those tips, yeah. tricks, hacks, cheat codes to get in between each step a little bit quicker. Interesting. So you're not necessarily saying like, okay, listen to our podcast and we're going to get you from steps one to seven. You're saying we're going to give you these kind of cheat codes to level you up just a little bit in between each step, whether that's, you know, step one, two, three, four, five, six or seven. 
Yeah. Like, so for instance, right. A lot of people will think that you have to wait until your junior or senior year before you get an internship. Right. Um, that's typically what we're told in school too. Right. We're like, nah, like you can start looking for internships your freshman, sophomore year. In fact, like the best students actually start doing that early. Um, so yep. we're sharing that information so that you start looking for internships earlier so that you can be ahead of the curve to the yep. people that aren't listening to the show. And they're like, oh, I thought you had to wait until junior or senior year because I was, I was one of those students. That's what I was told. I was like, oh, I'll just wait until junior or senior year. But for most people, that's a little too late. Um, unless you get really lucky and land a really good internship um, totally. that junior, senior year. So, uh, like, again, we're not necessarily saying anything crazy new, I don't think. Like, some some tips might be, um, like, new and nuanced. But a lot of the stuff is, like, we're taking knowledge from seniors and, and recent grads and just being able to share that to a younger generation so they learn That's that stuff earlier. Two things there really quickly. <laughs> Nothing is new information, Right. Every idea is just repackaged and put, you know, either added onto or or repackaged in a way that makes it unique to you. And I learned that from a guy named Matthew Hussey. I forget exactly what book he told me to read. And I'm actually going to look it up after this because I thought it was really good. Um, but uh, he basically said Matthew Hussey's a influencer like we were talking about earlier in the personal development world. Love the guy, love his content. He's in the relationships world and specifically targets women, but he also gives a lot of different um, personal development um, tricks as well. And that's one of the things that he told me um, uh, in one of uh, the seminars and videos that I watch, which is essentially just, you know, nothing's new, right? Repackage it in a way that you're adding your own unique spin on it. And of course, if you need to attribute, attribute, right? Don't plagiarize or anything like that. But, um, you know, definitely, you know, repackage it and add your own spin um, on it. The other thing that I wanted to pull out of there, what you just said, um, is that, you know, you're solving these problems that are in between the steps, right? So talk to me about some of the most common problems that you either get asked for in your DMs um, or that you feel like you're solving a declassified media. What and, and really just give like give me some of the tips right now, if you wouldn't mind live, like, you know, what, what's the one or two biggest problems that you think college students are facing? And what do you think are the solutions that you would tell them to to uh, to go for? Definitely. I mean, like number one problem in college, right, typically is uh, student debt, right? That's what everyone always loves to talk about. Um, and the common way to get around student debt is scholarships. And most people, myself included, thought that you could only apply to scholarships when you were in high school. And like, okay, if you got X amount of scholarships for your freshman year, that would last you throughout the, your, your four years in college. Um, it's actually not the case, right? We both know now since graduating that you can, you can um, apply to scholarships anytime essentially that you yep. are a student um but on top of that uh, a little cheat code that a lot of people don't know is that um the problem with national scholarships so let's just say like taco bell releases a scholarship everyone in the and their mom is going to try to win that and apply to that it's going to be almost impossible to win right you can throw your hat in the ring but chances of you winning very slim um so everyone tells you like, oh, you need to go niche. You need to go niche. Um, the problem with like local scholarships, right, is like they only give out typically smaller amounts of money because they don't have capital to to give out fifteen thousand dollars a year, whatever it is. Yep. So maybe you're fighting for like a five hundred or maybe two thousand dollars scholarship, which is great if you win it, but it's still it's not going to put a huge dent in your tuition if you're paying thirty, forty thousand dollars a year. Um, so uh, a little hack that I learned um, like maybe a year ago or so is that 
if you look at law firms, a lot of law firms offer scholarships. Not many people apply to them because they think that it's only law student specific, but a lot of their scholarships are open to students of any major. Um, right. And because it's a law firm, a lot of them have capital to give um, away. So these scholarships can range from like five. I saw one the other day for five thousand um, dollars, which that'll make a good indent in your your tuition. Um, so like that's something of like, oh, go and look at law firm scholarships. Maybe you'll find something um, that you can apply to. And those are typically a lot bigger than usual. And you usually don't have to be a law student to to apply. But most people don't know that. So there's less competition. Um, so that's one from the scholarship world, um, from the internship world. I think the, the biggest cheat code, everyone always says like, uh, it's not about what you know, it's about who you know. And yeah. I think that's true, partly. Um, I think the real cheat code there is it's not really about who you know, it's about who knows you. And I think a lot of people forget that part, right? Because if I know you, Dan, right? Yep. That's great. But if you have a job opening at your job and you don't know that I exist, you're never going to reach out to me to, to find a job, right? Yep. So and I think people forget that and they go to, like, let's just say for a career fair, for instance, they'll go around shaking a hundred hands and be like, yo, I know all of these recruiters, da, 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 da. It's like, that's great. You know them. But did you make it a lasting impact so that they remember who you are so that yep. when that internship comes around, they think of you? And a lot of people um, won't be able to check off yes for that answer. So I think that is a major cheat code in like the internship networking career finding um, sort of space there. That's incredible. First of all, those are two great tips to have. First of all, being able to go into, you know, the nitty gritty of college, you know, college scholarships, right? And to find, you know, sort of an in-between, a medium-sized one that is more accessible in terms of it gives you more money, but it's also more accessible to win potentially because it's a smaller pool of candidates and applicants. That's incredible. And the second one, to be able to say, if you're looking for an internship, it's not about who knows you. I'm sorry, it's not about um, who you know, but to flip that on the head and said about who knows you, I love that because it's true in every internship that I ever got, I made myself stand out to the person that connected me to the internship, right? Be it the recruiter or be it the person that made the connection for me. I remember my college professor for the first journalism class that I ever took because that was my major was actually the person that connected me to my first ever internship at a college. And it was one that skyrocketed me to all my other internships and all the other content and, you know, job opportunities that I had. Um, it was kind of like a ladder, you know, each rung helped me get to the next one. Um, so I love those, those, uh, tips. Um, look, the title and the theme of this podcast are grow. And I want to get to some of the growth that you've seen consistently from going from your first podcast to now declassified media, obviously declassified media has skyrocketed in growth. You and I talked a little bit on the back end of how that's largely due to the TikTok following that you've created and the distribution of content that you're creating there. Um, as well as leading to, you know, kind of funneling attention to your podcast because podcast are still kind of like on an island, right? There's no algorithm within Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Google to be able to kind of grow your following there. You have to do it through other, you know, distribution means, i.e. TikTok, Instagram, etc. You've hung your hat on TikTok. Talk to me a little bit about um, the content that you're creating there and how you've been able to grow a following on TikTok and, and how you grow that into your uh, podcast audience. Yeah, I mean, so for for us, I, I think TikTok 
and short form content in general right now is sort of having its its time. Um, that's why TikTok is is typically popping off for a lot of people. YouTube Shorts for others, and then Instagram Reels. Those yeah. are like the three big platforms right now um, to be on. And the reason that I think TikTok has worked for us is we just got really lucky and got on it at the right time. Um, at the time when we were first creating on there, there's there wasn't much career content. Um, and there still isn't very much career content coming from a media brand in the career space. A lot of it is like personal branded stuff. So I think right. that's why it works for us. Um, the content that we're producing on there is very similar to the tips and tricks that we talked about on the podcast and, and even on, on um, this show. But the way that we do it is we we do it in a unique way that, again, Gen Z cares about and we capture your attention in the first second or whatever. Um, that conversion, uh, it, it's a little bit trickier on TikTok. I'll be completely honest than many other platforms just because, right, if you're thinking about it from a conditioning standpoint, TikTok conditions you to pay attention to a 10 to 30 second video. Typically, all pretty much every of our videos are, is 30 seconds long. Um Trying to convert someone from a 30 second video to, I mean, our show is on the shorter end to a five or 10 minute podcast. That's a big time change, right? Let alone a 30 minute show, a 60 minute show, whatever that may be. So you have to realize that that's the barrier right there. So your mm -hmm. content better be super good um, if you're going to be able to get anyone to convert over. Uh, but it's really interesting for us, to think about that. Yeah. I never thought about the fact that you're right. It's conditioning because TikTok conditions you to pay attention to a 10 to 30 second video. And then also to sw it immediately swipes down to the next video on the, on the app. So you're really not even, not even just conditioning you to watch short form content, but they're conditioning you to just keep scrolling on the app, yeah. right? And stay there. Um, like most social media apps do, but I believe it's a little bit easier on Instagram to say, you know, hey, click over to my podcast link, link in bio, right? Or swipe up on this story and you can go to my podcast for more. I think um, Instagram and other social apps make it more accessible for you to actually go to a podcast. So let me ask you this. If, you know, are, have you gotten so good that you've been able to overcome that conversion hurdle between the conditioning of 10 to 30 seconds on TikTok to get people to be able to go to the podcast? Or are there other distribution means that you're being able to use to drive attention to the podcast? Conversions are right. I'll be completely honest. It's not anything amazing. We haven't cracked the code of being yeah. able to convert all of our followers on, on TikTok to um, our podcast. Yep. But what I would say is... Because of TikTok, we're able to to make sustainable income. Yes. Um, so that's what I would say is uh, like if you're thinking about it from a podcast standpoint and a CPM standpoint, it's very hard to keep a podcast sustainable because there aren't those algorithms around. But on platforms that there are those algorithms that you can play, um, if you're able to grow a, a decent amount of following, you can monetize that in a meaningful way to be able to run a sustainable business. So that's, that's what we use TikTok as. Like that's kind of our... Um, like our foundation, if that makes sense. And because we have a foundation, we're able to loop in all of our other platforms together um, into like a bundled deal. And that's that's how we're able to, to sell everything to the advertisers and companies that want to work with us. So typically when you work with Declassified, you're not just buying one TikTok or one podcast or one email newsletter. You're yep. usually buying one of everything and we bundle everything together. Um, so that's that's typically how we, we do things from a, a, a business development standpoint for, for Declassified. 
That's awesome. That's actually going to be my next question is how are you you know, packaging those sponsorships, but you just answered it. Um, do you feel like the future of declassified media from a business standpoint um, is going to be those sponsorships? Do you feel like it's going to be TikTok, you know, is the main thing moving forward? Do you hope that the podcast grows more? Where do you see is the, the main prong or do you see it as that sort of package deal moving forward? Um, so I think... I think definitely from a media lens, we we understand the media space and we're doing pretty well in terms of converting yeah. brand deals and stuff like that. So I think that's one arm of the business. Um, something that's, excuse me, been really interesting for for me to to kind of dive into a little bit more over the past um, like few weeks and few months has been um, like the the hiring space. There's so much money in the hiring um, industry and we want to see how we can take a piece of that pie for declassified because we know that if a company wants to work with uh, let's just say UCF, which is the largest university in the US. It's like you're capped at 75,000 students if every student showed up to the career fair. And let's be honest, we both know that not like maybe 10%, more like 5% of students actually show up to those things. Yeah. Um, you're not getting in front of that many students, right? Compared to if you work with a declassified, yes, we've got 300,000 followers across all platforms, but you also have the opportunity to go viral too, right? And the right. opportunity to go viral is endless amount of views. So that's that's where we think we can play. And we're trying to figure out what is the correct business model to break into the hiring space right now. But that is a potential vertical that we're, we're looking at um, currently. That's awesome. And do you see yourself working with like recruiters, specific companies? Um, how do you how do you see that, or, or is it all of the above? Um, not again, not entirely too too sure right yeah. now. We just know that again, there's a lot of money in that space. Um, obviously, LinkedIn, Handshake have been able to build off of that money. Um, we're just trying to see what is the right way that we can capitalize on that industry as well. Absolutely. I'm going to be super selfish with this, with this next question. And in being selfish, I'm hoping that it's going to be uh, advice that can be uh, you know, given to a lot of other people that are going to be listening to this episode. So I'm someone who wants to be where you are in six months, a year, etc. right? You are someone who is, you know, the definition of the creator economy. You have a podcast, you're a social media creator, and you're doing it under your brand name, but you're still, you know, the, the main creator behind all this content. And you've grown a following of 250,000 on TikTok. You are, you know, um, climbing the charts in your podcast, you know, on Apple Podcasts with, you know, the, and, and the other platforms that you're on with tens of thousands of downloads per month. And it seems like you're just, you know, continuing to, you know, capitalize on that momentum. Um, if someone wanted to do what you're doing, Justin, i.e. this guy right here on the other side of the mic, um, what would your advice be um, you know, to them? Um, and it's free range, open-ended answer. Um, so what would your advice be to them if they wanted to get to where you are and, and, and become a creator and, and really just grow an audience? Yeah. I mean, two things. Uh, the and I'll try to be as tactical with the second piece of advice as possible. Um, first one is very broad. And that being very broad is you have to understand that we overestimate what we can accomplish in one year and underestimate what we can achieve in 10 years. And the reason I say that is I started this journey, so to say, in like 2015, 2016, like we talked about earlier. I thought that I was going to become YouTube famous or whatever it may be in that first year. Um, here we are five, six years later, and 
that's when I'm just starting to get to pop off. So it's usually a longer journey than you actually think. And you have to plan for that. That doesn't mean that because you think it's going to be a longer journey that you go slow. Um, it just means that be patient as you're continuously trying to grind it all out. Um, that's a really good perspective to have, I think, as a creator. Uh, secondly, what I would say is it's very hard to give tactile advice without knowing specifically like what you're trying to create or whoever is listening to this is trying to create. The one piece of advice that I would give is when you feel that you have a spark, drop everything else that you're doing and go all in on that. Um, now, obviously, if you're in school, don't drop out of school until you've, you're making solid income. But in terms of put all of your extra effort into that one thing that is either generating you um, the enough amount of money or continuously growing your followers, your views, whatever it may be. Um, that's what we did when we had declassified. So the podcast launched in January, February ish. Um, it was going well, it was going decent for the first three or four months. But yeah. with our TikTok, we launched that in September. And in the first month, because we saw that the the virality of some of the posts, we grew to a hundred thousand followers in one month. Um, so we really captured that, and because of that, allowed us to get brand deals and really start generating revenue from from a business standpoint. So that's what that's what the two pieces of advice that I would give um, from uh, from an entrepreneurship standpoint. Awesome, I love that. The first one, super broad in terms of you've got to play the long game, right? You underestimate what you can do in 10 years, but you overestimate what you can do in a year. I'm all about that. And one of the themes of this show, the thing that I'm preaching both to myself and to, to people that I you know, speak with is can compound growth right? Consistent growth over time. And I love that. That's, you know, the theme of your first piece of advice there. And the second one obviously is be practical, right? Don't just jump into something and go all in on it, right? If you don't have a source or means to be able to, you know, uh, provide your livelihood, right? Um, and I think that's something that's really important. This is a side project right now for me, this podcast. Um, would it be great if I could take it full time one day? Absolutely. But right now I am very content with, um, you know, filming, uh, when I have the time and, you know, just producing content that, um, I really enjoy and I enjoy talking with, um, Justin, before we get to the last question here, just wanted to say, I really appreciate you bringing, uh, you know, the fire today, um, dedicating your time to this podcast and sitting with me for an hour. Um, it's truly been an honor and super educational for me as well. I learned so much from this conversation. Um, and you are absolutely authentic, um, and just one hell of a guy. So I just wanted to acknowledge and thank you for being here. No, thank you, man. I really appreciate it. I'm excited to see where this podcast goes um, into the future. But yeah, let me know what this last question is. Uh, I'm ready. Absolutely. So I want to know what your definition of growth is. How do you define it? Definition of growth. Um, I think the definition of growth is if you can look back at yourself on January, let's just say December 31st, and you're looking back on January 1st of that year. Have you grown? Have you have you gotten to a better place than where you were at a year ago? And if not, I think that's completely okay. But then set a plan for the next year of how you're going to get to a better place. And I don't think enough people look back at where they've come 
and just continuously compare themselves to where they think they should be. And if you're only doing that, you're only constantly running a rat race rather than appreciating where you came from. And I think when you appreciate where you came from, that's where the growth really comes from. Have a plan and goals to move forward, but take the time to look in the rearview mirror to see how far you've come. Justin Wynn, founder of Declassified Media. Thank you so much for spending some time with me today. Appreciate it and can't wait to uh, talk to you again soon. No, thank you, man. Hey guys, thank you so incredibly much for listening to today's episode. It means the world to me and I'm so grateful for any member of this audience. If you found today's episode valuable, Go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever it is that you're listening to this show. Subscribe to the show, rate us five stars, and drop us a review if you can. It would mean the world to me. Remember, you are valuable, you are worthy, and you are already enough. Now let's go out there and grow together.